And we are back. This is Sam from Yes Broadway. This is the first Yes Broadway podcast episode in a long time. I think over a year and for a very special occasion. It's no secret for anyone who follows Yes Broadway on social media that I am a big fan of Slave Play, which recently arrived on Broadway after a off-Broadway run last summer or last year um, that was... Very controversial, very well-received, and very not well-received all at once. Um, And I recently saw the Broadway production and loved it. And if there's one thing I learned from watching Slave Play, or it was one thing I was reminded of by watching Slave Play on Broadway, was that as a white male, I should be listening to women of color more. And a few weeks ago, I was hanging with my friend Amara Brady, who told me that she actually has a very different opinion of slave play. So you sent me some writing and I said, let's actually do this as as a podcast, as a conversation. And so you brought your friend Morgan with us today. Morgan, what's your last name? McGuire. Morgan McGuire. So I'm going to kind of turn it over to you two. Like I, you know, a, a lot of people who follow us probably know my opinion about slave play. So let's uh, hear your opinions of slave play. First, why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves? I'm Amara, but I'm actually going to introduce Morgan. Mm. Morgan is a playwright, um, a dramaturg, and an actor, and she's a wonderful person. I like her a lot. She does a lot of yoga, um, (laughs) and she has recently uh, folded me into the cult of yoga, which is really cool. I need it. I need a mindfulness practice. It's fine. Um, And she's become somewhat of a mentor to me in the city since I moved here. Don't make that face. In the last, like, two years, uh, she came to my play reading Friday, and she gave me many notes. I, <laughs> I did do that. I did. I did. I did. They, were, they were all, you know, about infrastructure. I was so, grateful for it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to introduce Amara. Amara is an actor and a playwright um, and a dramaturg, a very, um, a just very talented human. Um, I've had countless people um, tell me about her work, um, especially as an actor, how great it is in the audition room. And I'm like, like, you know, this girl, she's awesome. Um, so that's like a super exciting thing. She's also a lovely human. Um, I, uh, she is correct. I do do a lot of aerial yoga (laughs) and circus (laughs) arts now. It's a new thing for me. Um, I am, I am only now getting into the vinyasa, um, I like, um, but yeah, I do do that uh, um, a lot. I, I, oh, geez. Um, like last week I took nine classes of Jesus. Ariel in one week. So yeah, it's a real thing for me right That's now. Who knows? I know. I know. Morgan is very fit and I feel very ashamed. What? Stop. No, I am. I, <laughs> I, I recently have thought about whether or not, like I've recently, I went down a rabbit hole about food because I was like I gotta eat better to recover like I felt like I was some like intense athlete and then I reminded myself girl you gonna sit down you gonna write this play and then you're gonna work on this monologue because you have like because you need to be ready for something or you need to act (laughs) I was like read these sides it was like a whole thing it was a whole thing but yeah we're here to talk not about my um aerial slash food practices 
We're going to um, talk about slave play, yeah? I mean, are we going to talk... Uh, it's are gonna we going to talk about the black women We're going to talk theater, about black women, women in, in spaces, theater. like in yeah. performance. Like yeah. what happens to black women's bodies in performance? Basically, that's spaces. what I cool. want to make this about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as Sam told you all, we ran into each other at TEDx Broadway. And, um, shout, out TEDx Broadway. <laughs> shout out TEDx Broadway. Shout out TEDx Broadway. Shout out to the situation. Go give some money to some nonprofits that give theater tickets to people who can't afford mm-hmm. them. Them in Broadway. And it's for because all. you were part of the Young Professionals program, yes? I was, which somebody there told us was the um, community service project of the founders. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I don't know. Y'all, white people are weird. Some white woman <laughs> stuck her hand in my hair at the top of the day. I was like, no. this, is the, oh this, no. is, this is the tone we're setting. No. It's fine. It's fi- it's not fine. But, you it's know, we're going to work it. We're going to work on it. Um, but, yeah, I spoke with Sam about it. And then I had recently seen another show that um, left a bad taste in my mouth just with regards to black women and the way that they are treated. Because, because these things are treated as revolutionary in the theater. Mm. Um, and that's kind of my big problem is that everybody is like, oh, slave play is so revolutionary or this thing, this post-apocalyptic show is so revolutionary, but it doesn't specifically with the way we treat black women on stage, it tends to not be anything different than the way we normally treat theater. I will say, I think one of those, I, I, revolutionary is such an interesting word. I would say that like, there's a trend of confrontation in theater right now that's a stylistic trend and I would say that um, slave play is the height of that in many ways and so describing something as revolutionary is is like how how can you say that unless you're like much further out from it would be the like it may be I don't know but how can we say that right now unless we're much further out from it I would say though that in that play that use of that device that confrontation of the audience is really well developed and probably is breaking that form a little bit to the point that like how useful is it for the rest of us to do it anymore if like it's exceeding in this space and working in some capacity well like is it is it a worthy pursuit for the rest of us to to engage that style and i would say less so like it, it's it's a trend that was happening and like and this is a profoundly great execution of that trend in some ways um and so when that happens yeah don't you don't got to do it anymore but to say something's revolutionary that like indicates that we have a perspective that would actually be really hard to have right now so I like i think that when we're engaging in critical thought about things it's also important the words we use yeah because like that like especially like and i understand we're in a very quick culture it's very meme oriented i hate memes i love memes i hate memes i hate spiritual memes too because it is the thing i hate most about memes is that it's so reductive and people are just i'm like that's not life doesn't work like that don't give that to people that's gonna hurt them like the jesus one with the teddy bear behind the back and the like she's got the little teddy bear and it's like no she's like i want to keep it and then there's jesus being like no i got a teddy i'm like no don't send that to people that's gonna hurt their life super like spiritual but that's like that the ones that are funny no that's what i mean yeah but it's worthwhile but it's also an indication of where the culture is at and like what we do with information and what we do with thought 
right? Like yeah. how quickly we're, we're not thinking deeply and to say something that's revolutionary, we have to be able to think deeply about it and critically yeah. about it. And so I would say like, there can be great theater and maybe it's revolutionary, but we need like a whole understanding of like the landscape around it, like for, and perspective. And we have no perspective on our immediate circumstances. So like, I just think that that's a heavy laden word to use. I mean, I agree and I disagree, right? Like mm-hmm. I, th- I do think what to send up when it goes down is revolutionary. I actually think that Well, that, that totally broke the actual form. Exactly. So that's different, like, in the sense of, like, the form is broken, and so it exists. Like, I sat there and was like, is this a play? This is, and not yeah. in a bad way. I was like, what am I calling this? Yeah. I don't know if I'm experiencing a play. That, to me, lives in a different realm than what we're dealing with that is very proscenium drama. Yeah. And so to call something, like, that is proscenium, like, a revolution in the space of proscenium drama, because that's not what that was, that's interesting. To, like, that feels like not a deep thought to me. Can you just put into context a little bit what is what, to send up when it goes down, yeah. which oh, I saw yeah. and loved. I loved it too. That's not like I had a oh, whole no. lovely experience. I, I haven't met anybody who disliked it. I'm sure that there are people. I've heard stories about audience members walking out. So like, I'm sure somebody didn't like it. They're not the people I frequent. Um, right. But what to send up when it goes down is a play that was produced by the Movement Theater Company. It was written One of my by absolute favorite theater company. We stand. Them. I like, love you. The talk about theater breaking company. down hierarchical structures of like theater. It's them. They're doing it. Um, and it was written by Alicia Harris, and it was directed by Whitney White. They're on tour right now. I think they're still in D.C. They're at Willie Mammoth. Um, mm-hmm. And then they'll be at ART a little bit later uh, next month. And I think that that show, you know, Sam was asking me before you got here, what shows are, like, my shows, my picks. It's what to send up when it goes down and The House of Will Not Stand by Marcus Gardley. Mm. Um, Which mm-hmm. was New York Theater Workshop yeah. last year? Yeah. Mm-mm. It was the year before Slave uh, Play, so it was like two years ago. No, I thought it... It was the season before Slave Play. No, oh, shoot, because I... Oh, no, you are correct, because that's when I missed it. Yeah. Um, so what to send up when it goes down, I, I kind of had forgotten how... Uh, structure redefining it is as well. So it's interesting that they saw, but they 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 redefine the structure in a completely different way, which is interesting. I saw a workshop of it too uptown. Um, of what this end up when it goes down? Yeah, they did a workshop. Uh, there was a theater fest. I'm forgetting the name. It was at Harlem School of the Arts mm-hmm. um, in the fall of 2017. Okay. And uh, and Mary Hodges uh, directed the workshop, and it was really interesting because a lot of it stayed. Um, and you I had a couple of productions yeah, before already. And I had I had uh, um, I had I was late because the train, you know, and getting from Brooklyn to that part of Harlem is hard. So yeah. um, South Brooklyn, especially. So I I was a little bit late, but it was interesting. And I came in and. Um, and it was, in, it was really, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I, in that space, because it was a workshop reading-ish thing, I couldn't um, see where they were breaking the form. And then in the, um, in the actual production, I was like, oh, this is what you were doing. Great. I'm here. Totally here for it. Because um, I think I had also missed a lot of the audience participation um, as opposed, and had come into more of the performative elements. 
But I do think like how, and that treats black women's bodies very um, differently in many ways. I think. I mean, I think there's more power there. Yeah. Like the conversation that a lot I've had with quite a few um, queer black men has been that they felt so seen. And I think it is truly because they walk away feeling a little bit victorious from, um, I forget the character's name, but the character that Atu plays, his Mm. relationship with his lover. Like, they walk away feeling as if they have won this moment and this time in a way that I don't feel like black women get the opportunity to with the way the play ends. Which is wild, because from my perspective, having a whole final scene dedicated to the other couple... The mm-hmm. couple that's played by what's her name on Broadway? I forget um, her name. Who's incredible? It's Kanisha, and I can't remember yeah. the character's name. Is which Kanisha. is funny because, on from my perspective, and it might just because as a white male, the white male has a lot of you know sort of victory in that last scene. But like that, that scene is sort of resolved versus the scene with Atu and his lover leaves a little bit unresolved there. Well, yeah, I think too because I I watched that play and also didn't. Um, The men in the play for me really felt like avatars for her experience in that second scene and her lack of vocal presence was really about, I think our, I find that my experience as a black woman is always superseded by black men's experience. And so I was experiencing that. And so I was okay with that in some regards because what they were speaking I felt like it was that superseding that happens. And then I was like, oh, we dropped back into, we dropped into that third scene. And my response was, oh, this is the only place I could have ended up was with her and him. Okay, I'm here. And, but I think there is this complication of how do we take care of black women in our audiences too who maybe don't have the experience i found slave play for me personally so i watched it two times because my psyche was really activated the first time because of some of my recent experiences (laughs) um and then you know (laughs) uh oh white dudes um but had you know had been very activated because of a recent experience so i saw it a second time to be like how do i look at this dramaturgically i'm interested to see how he's working on the work that he's doing on this play um to make to have such an impact so that's the two brains with which i watched the play both either time and and i came back the second time and i was like oh i had such deep catharsis and had all of these different um you know, and these people on stage had shouted the first time I saw it, I saw it with a friend and she's like, uh, you've shouted those things at someone. And I'm like, yes, I have. I feel so seen. I don't know what's going on. And so, but that was because I had had a specific experience. Not everyone's had that experience. And so like having that ending moment, which is like deeply traumatizing but also for me, I was like, yeah, because I felt like that. And so that I felt like that was where I could come from and seeing it dramatized because no one had dramatized it for me was good, was okay for me. Like in my space, I don't 
think that that's true for everyone. And so what happens to black women's bodies also, it, it can't be a maxim for like, oh, this is great and amazing for everyone because yeah. it might not be. Because it like, just because my experience as a black woman is different, like I can look at that and go, oh, this does not have to be every black yeah, woman. I mean, it can't be. Monoliths don't exist in black yeah. culture. No, well, I'm going to say it again so that everybody listening and understands. Monoliths don't exist in black culture. The things that you see are pieces of somebody else's life. They're not the whole of the existence. Tyler Perry is not all of black culture. Um, slave play is not all of black culture. Like, these are not Well, monoliths. yeah, and it also leads to, like, you do end up feeling like there are, like, you do, I mean, I have not in my whole, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my whole life I'm just like, I am not black enough and which is a weird and every person like every black person actually feels like that I think at some point because there is this image of a monolith that we're supposed I'm like oh they're gonna take away my card because I don't like watermelon you know like it's a which is a bad joke watermelon is delicious and I I cannot not even tell you my family owns a a watermelon farm in Louisiana. I can't stand you. And I, I'm so sorry, Sam. I made a mistake. And I, <laughs> this is what I mean. Like I was like, oh, and but and that's a stupid example. Like no, a stupid, I stupid example. I like. I feel like I'm not black enough. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I like as a kid did oratory competitions for Push, the Rainbow Push Coalition, and Reverend <laughs> Jesse Jackson. Like he came Girl, to my you family events. <laughs> I still am like, I'm not black enough. Yes. I went to Catholic school. I hug around white kids. I am not black enough. You and do. You, and I went to PWIs. I didn't go to HBCU. Yeah. My parents met on the campus of Howard University. I like, yep. Bitch, if you're not black enough, I don't know who else is. I know. I don't know. Because like my sister went to an HBCU and I went to a PWI. And I'm just like, and I think like even that was like, and she came out with a very different experience yeah. of life and a very different experience of, you know, blackness in some ways. Like I'm from California. It mm-hmm. looks different and because it is, there's, there's a broad array of culture. And so like, I think we are, we then, that gets distilled and it gets distilled in a way in the American theater that is. I just get so disheartened. Like I saw, I saw Mothers, which was a show. Um, I think her name is Anna. Can you say her last name? Because I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I had Anna Mo- Monet. Maybe I don't know. Okay. Mo- this is that Playwrights Horizons. This is Playwrights Realms. Playwrights Realms. Mm-hmm. And it's like a post-apocalyptic play about four women. Two of them are black and mothers, and two of them are Asian women. One is a mother. One is a um, like a nanny or a caregiver for a child and a mass extinction event happens where like we don't really know what's going out on outside of this like jamboree style place um, but there are people who sound like incels based off of what we're given in the context of the story and they've like taken over everything and in this play the black women one black woman specifically she's the only one who can produce milk, um, is tied down and forced to feed the other women's children. And then when she stops producing milk, they say, well, she's not protecting anybody and nobody's protecting her, so we should kill her and eat her. And I just, I hate that. I hate that take. And then 
they do kill her and eat her. And then the other black woman also dies and is also eaten. Um, and this white man, the only man in the show, comes up and he picks up the only child that we know on stage to be, like, black and a little girl. And he bashes her head in on, like, a set piece. And I just don't know what I'm supposed to leave with. Am I supposed to leave with the fact that even in alternate universes, even in post-apocalyptic societies, black women don't get to live? And that we don't exist if we don't serve some purpose to people? Because that's a part of it too, right? Like, even when we're not being physically abused or manipulated, it's like a lot of black male playwrights can't seem to find a use for us to exist unless we are tied to somebody as their mother or as their wife. And it's, 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 it's a larger conversation than like just blackness, but cause like I saw, I saw the inheritance and it's really fa- I saw part one. I didn't go see part two, but it's really fascinating to me that like men have the ability to write entire shows, three hour long shows where we don't exist, where like women don't exist. And the only references or mentions of us are, Oh, my mother or my ex-wife who led to my coming out. And it's, it's. It's sad. It makes me sad. I don't want to be well, sad. I think, I mean, I, I mean, I think we don't, like, for me, I always see in theater, like, oh, I'm going to say this out loud. <laughs> I, like I, history. I find the Bechdel test really problematic. Okay. Because I don't think it values the, like, actual emotional labor women often do and are forced to do. And you can say, oh, don't do that labor, but that labor makes the world go round. It's actually like the grease in the gears. And like, it's not to say that that's not a great, like the test is fine, right? The test itself is fine. I'm not criticizing the test. I'm criticizing how we broadly apply it to like, that it's the standard. And I'm like, women do a lot of relational labor work. Sometimes those relationships are with men. And um, it would be problematic if they didn't talk about them. And men aren't doing that labor in the world. Men don't do reproductive labor often. Sometimes they do. And when they do, more often than not, um, (laughs) really like upset by it. But like that kind of like setting systems in place to make the world go round, like doing the emotional labor of, hey, like I can see everybody in the room and how do I help make this room function? And like, how do I help like, how do I help make the social space comfortable and safe for people is a lot of work that women do. How do I make relational space safe for people is a lot of work that women do. We don't value that work in the same way that we value men's work. And so it then becomes very easy because we don't value that work to not see it. And that's also because plays are about doing, right? People are doing things in plays. Then we don't see women because what women do doesn't have import to people. Even though your wife, like, you know, if you're in a play and your wife does all that, like there's a play and your wife does all this work to help you do the thing, like that that story doesn't have as much merit as the present story. And not to say like, I haven't seen that play. I don't know, you know, whatever. But I think as a general space, like it's really hard for us as an economy, right? Even in the emotional economy to value women's work and or work that women often do. 
And so it's like, you know, it's why we get paid less because we're doing lots of work. We're doing the same amount of work, probably more work in our, in our jobs, in spaces, and a lot of emotional work at work. Um, and that's to say that emotional work has to happen. In my dream world, we're all doing that labor. We're all doing that labor together. Uh, you know, I, you know, a lot of times the women and I get, who I work with and, and, and collaborate with, we get together and we talk a lot about like, if we're, you know, on a different project and there's some kind of difficulty, it's like, well, a man would never have to. And it's like, yeah. And the project, like, and things would kind of suck. Cause just cause a man doesn't have to, doesn't mean that makes him a good leader. No. It actually probably makes him a bad leader in this case. Yeah. And so like, I think that also like beyond blackness or whatever we and then that goes to what value we have for the work that um people do within like people are relegated to certain types of work black women get relegated to certain types of work and we value that work less and so all of those things like those are the places to start too to have those conversations where it's like god do i value what you're doing do i value like it's important if it stopped If I stopped participating in the emotional economy of the world, in the economy of the world, if everyone who was like me stopped participating, things would not be great. No, and I think that yeah, and so I just am like we, but we never reduce it to that ever, and we're always having, and this is again, I'm going to bring back the memes. We're always having a conversation that is. On skating on the surface of something when it's like, no, we have to think more deeply about yeah. these things because we're confronting like we're at a moment where we're just confronting so many systems that haven't worked. I'm really curious about in, in, interrogating queer theory as it is produced in the American theater, hmm. just because when I think about plays that center um lesbian culture or lesbians or queer women I've never seen one that doesn't talk about men mm. even like when I think about stop kiss oh there yeah is, like that's very con- yeah, yeah there is true. a male character but that's like true. when I think about the normal heart when I think about angels in America when I think about the inheritance I don't I don't see the same care with women and also, like, if we're going to, I think we need to move away from the binary, of course. But if we're talking about what is already in the cultural zeitgeist, yeah. I think we need to, like, acknowledge and interrogate why that is and what's going on there. Because there's obviously a disconnect in, like... Do I wonder, and this is just a positive question, I obviously have no, and I took one queer theory class in college, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, this is one of my favorite classes. Um, it was political theory, it was political theater, and it ended up being just, we read all these queer theory books, it was great. Um, but, um, but I wonder too, are we just, are we socialized in a way where we make more space? And so we are more inclusive. That's the question I wonder about these things in which women, like, is I mean, that, or do we feel, I'm at, literally asking the question because no, I don't know. This is something I've given a lot of thought to. So I think that my mantra has kind of become the way you treat um, the least of us, as in the people whose society deems the least of us, mm-hmm. is the way you treat all of us. Yeah. And the thing that I think that I've come to realize about uh, people who are assigned female at birth is that 
statistically we are less targeted. So like queer women typically experience hate crimes at lower rates than queer men. Yeah. Um, okay. Trans men typically experience yes. hate crimes at lower rates than trans women. And so I think that there is something to that about like the need to be seen more because you are experiencing violence more prone to violence yeah yeah that there's like In the same a way more collective make, drama we tend to make more space Traumas, for black yeah. men or men of color like when i'm on the train and there's a black man man spreading to the point where i barely have a place to sit or i literally do not have a place to sit i sit with myself for a moment and i'm like am i going to am i going to like allow myself to take up more space to make this equal or am I going to let him take up more space because I know that the world does not let him take up more space like this is what goes in my head on a daily basis and and it's it's really misogynoir is weird and it's all weird so misogynoir is like misogyny specifically as it pertains to blackness black women and black men yeah because I mean I think that It's so hard because it's also big, right, too. Like, all of those things are, like, huge things. And it's, like, and you bring it to, like, you have these real big micro macro thoughts. And then you're, like, I'm sitting next to a guy on a train. Like, you know, I I wrote, like, this is a great example. I go down to the 7th Avenue Park Slope, like, you know, like, a subway stop. I get down there. There's this weird space where... There's a weird space now. There didn't used to be a weird space. Now there's a weird space now. <laughs> Two black girls are fighting. And there are like 40 kids around them. And most of them are black. Now I am like looking. And I, I'm looking at the person in the little turn. Like in the, the booth. And I'm like, are you going to come out here? And he's like, no. And I'm like, fine. And I'm like, what are you doing? Knock it off right now it's like 3 p.m i have no and i was like this is unacceptable stop hitting each other and then they're all videoing it right world star and i'm just like yeah i don't know what the, and i think i'm a mean i'm a gif now or something because i was just like i looked at this kid and i was like and he starts videoing me it was like turn it off what is wrong with you? Go home. There's no reason to, and the girls had stopped fighting. And then he's like, and I was like, and I'm telling you, you need to go home because the police are going to be here in a second. And he's like, why should I listen to you? I was like, because I'm a fucking grown up. And he was like, no, you're not. I was like, I 100% am. And you need to get your Negro ass down to the platform before the police come. And then I... <laughs> and then I walked down to the platform. I was like, and this is why we can't. And I just was like on my black grandma trip. And I was like sitting here and I was like, oh, I'm so unwilling to call the police on you. If you had been white kids, I'd have been like, ding, ding, ding. Um, I was like, but I'm unwilling to call the police on you. I am also like, someone was like, don't do it. You're going to get jumped. Some black man old black man was like they'll jump you I was like I'd like to see them try <laughs> um they probably, I mean I don't know where this comes from in me but that re- like there's a macro thought level and then on the micro it gets tested where I'm just like what do I do it, I can't actually make you stop fighting 
Like, I don't because I'm not going to assault you. And that's what it's going to take in this moment. I mean, they heard the cops were coming. So the girl is kind of, and I don't even know what these, they like took off their hoop earrings. I was like, you look ridiculous. You know, you, this is a part of the culture. I know, but you. I was like, but I was like, you look ridiculous. Like watching it, I was like, you look ridiculous. Did somebody have uh, Vaseline or no? It's not real if you don't have Vaseline. I think they did. It was like, Good. They, they like took They're off smart, their hoops. And they took off their hoops and they were like, I, I was just like, you look ridiculous. Has anybody told you that lately um but I but also like this moment of just like oh shit like it I have like it's just it gets like and and that's a that's an, a moment of me practicing something kind yeah. of well for myself but there are moments where I actually have a hard time and I don't know what to do and I don't know where these bigger macro thoughts fit into the micro and even sometimes when I'm writing plays like I had this commission and the only black male character, like the only, it was an adaptation of a research study. The only black male character that was a part of the research study, so he's a real human, was just absent or said things that I was like, oh, oh, I will call him Ron. Um, <laughs> another real name, but I was like, oh, Ron, why'd you say that? Um, you know, like women can't be president. It looks like her husband's doing the work. Like, just all this kind of stuff and just like really and he I mean but I will say he also had a real internal space where like he knew what he wanted to show up for and what he didn't and I appreciated that but I wrote this play and it got workshopped and it went to reading at Kennedy Center and then had another reading down in DC and at the second one it was at an HBCU and just these professors were like I'm horrified and I was like okay, I get it. He's the only black man on stage. It's a questionable thing for me in execution, but this is all the material I have in the transcripts. I also need, I'm writing a play, so I need, like, this is a space where conflict exists. Also, I'm not responsible for every image of black masculinity. Like I cannot prop up what you believe to be black masculinity. Like, and then some dude, and then, you know, this one guy in the back who's a history professor was like, I love him because, and I was like, I, and I literally was like, I'm just gonna cut this character because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be true to the original space. And also like, I don't, I mean, there were lots of things that I left out. Cause I was like, I also don't want to lambast this kid who is, 26 and doesn't know what he's doing in life i just think that we're at a really weird uh place where there are like two major groups and i've been saying this for a while like there are people who take i'm rooting for everybody black to heart yeah and i actually think that that's killing us and i think it's stifling our ability to like transcend our art and our lives and so like there's this there's still you know, the societal expectation within the black community that you can't air dirty laundry. Like, yes. I ain't gonna lie. I'm a little scared to be on this podcast talking about how I don't like this show because I'm pretty sure black America is going to be like, you traitorous. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll see from my perspective that the, the vast majority of people who have fallen on the side of it saying it's not something that I champion are were people of color. So that's why it's interesting to me that, like... Yeah, and I feel not black enough being like, I was okay with it oh and no, I cried. I feel <laughs> gaslit by the experience because everybody that I've heard who's having, like, 
meetings in back rooms, trying to get stuff shut down. Like they are publicly in support of the thing. And so I'm like, am I crazy? Am I wrong? Is my interpretation of the thing wrong? Again, like I, I had a hard time with the play because that is not my experience. All the white men that I've engaged with knew better. And I knew better. <laughs> and my ancestors were not telling me that it was okay for me to be with a demon. My ancestors were never. Mayadi snatches me up every other day for doing basic stuff, let alone trying to spend the rest of my life with somebody that I actually think is a demon. Like, I would not. My ancestors would be like, we fought for this. I think that's metaphorical. <laughs> I think it's metaphorical too, but I actually talked to my ancestors and I know what they would say. So like, I think that's true. Me trying to adjust my thought process for this, I was like, this, I was like, I don't understand. But like, I don't get it. The, the ancestors would not. Here's the difference too. Like, my dad is like, I'm, I'm biracial. Uh, I mean, I, I always say my racial biography is different than my politicized racial identity. Like, I have a black racial identity, uh, politicized racial identity, because then I walk into a room, people are like, she's black. Um, and so that, what that, like, what whiteness does to people is it categorizes them um, in yes or no. Um, and so, like, I have a white father, and I would say that, like, my experience with white men up until, like, really my mid my mid to late 20s early 30s was completely different and so like that's where I'm like no I and I don't like and the things that happen in your life are the things that happen in your life but like I would say like because like that's not my dad like mm -hmm. that do, like my dad is a really lovely like works really hard to like be a space for people kind of human um and so and it's so magnanimous it's ridiculous um and so, uh, so like that to me, like didn't ring true in that regard, which is why when, cause my mother was in town, my parents were in town that week, my dad came like two days later, but my mom was in town. I was like, you can see this play. And then she was like, I don't know. I maybe just want to, she sat in the Bowery hotel and worked. Um, and she's like, I maybe just want to, and I'm kind of glad she didn't. Cause I don't know if it would have been, cause it's not representative of her, um, you know, biracial relationship in any yeah. regard and so like it would have been I don't know what that would have been like for her so it's interesting because but it does I think it speaks more to the thing that you're talking about as well is that 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 all speaks to like we because we have to stick together right there's this level of we got to stick together because like there's a legitimate death makes people go oh we gotta you know like it, if your life's at risk you kind of go we gotta cling and there's scarcity and I there's will agree yes that there's scarcity there's and scarcity so there's like a necessity the fear is that like by publicly saying that you don't like this thing or that if you help to make sure that this thing doesn't succeed then other people will not get the same resources later yes. in life there's a whole thing about it so like I get that but it also means that like Nobody is talking right now like this, like, you know, like nobody is worried about Linda Vista, right? Like the people who don't like Linda Vista. But I feel like the community they, has like agreed that nobody likes Linda Vista. Has the community agreed that? I think so. Okay. I feel like everybody I know, maybe I travel in different circles. Yeah, again, like, but everybody I know is like, but I you, hate this and this white man is still the center and this is a problem. But what they're really saying is it's not a white woman and so I want that. Yeah. And I want to clarify 
that white women are not the only way into diversity. I'm going to say that again. White women are not the only way into diversity. Yes. Because yes. intersectionality exists. And my black woman self is here. So if you put me in the center of a story, I guarantee you have more diversity. Yes. Continue. Agreed. But what's interesting to me is nobody is taught, nobody feels afraid to be like, except me, to be like, Brent Brantley, what? Did you see? Cause like, like oh, it's no. like I talk, I talk shit about Ben Brantley on the daily. No, but you know and Jesse Green. We only talk positively about Sarah Holdren, and she about to leave. But you know what I mean? We're not like nobody. No white people are afraid to be like that. Rev- like, how did you write that review and then make it a critics pick? I'm never gonna work in this town again. And that's all I'm gonna say right now. I'm never gonna work in this town again. <laughs> I'm not working now, so I'm not concerned about a career I don't have. Um, but so wait, so Ben Brantley's review was a critics pick. It yeah. was a critics pick, but he ended of slave play. No, of uh, Linda Vista. Linda, Linda Vista. Vista. But I'm also, talking about how white people don't. It is. I'm talking about how white people don't feel like they feel like they can be critical of one another in the space. But that's because because whiteness neutral. doesn't exist as a monolith. I know. So what I'm trying to say is like we aren't a monolith. So like it's okay for you to be like, I did not like this experience wasn't great for me. It wasn't great for me. It's not great for a lot of people. And like, how can we have that conversation? Like why, like we should, because, and I'm saying that as someone who it was a fine experience for, and I enjoyed it and gave people a warning, but told them all to watch it. I mean, gave them a warning was like, there's some, I mean, don't go if, um, but I mean, that to me is, um, that to me is a, um, a heart like that makes me more sad like the I like the the play whatever all of that kind of stuff like even what we do to black women like even what we how we we need to be able to engage with talking about what we do to black bodies in spaces and how that affects the community and the community at large like if plays are for like if plays are for white learning how those plays affect black people, um, how, you know, I, I have been to, I have been to plenty of work too that I, like, you know, my friends are like, as a black woman, you have to see this. And I saw it and I was like, I think. You've been in plenty of work. <laughs> Stop, I'm trying to work. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to keep my job. I'm trying to like, so I'm, I'm on hold and in November, somebody's going to take me off that hold after they hear this podcast. Um, you know, like that's <laughs> shit you think Whoops. about. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. I don't think. Um, but, um, but also you have, I just feel like, how do we, how we talk about these things? Because the thing that makes me sad is that, and how do we talk about it in a way that is not like. I mean, we just, like, everything I've read about it, there's just so much name-calling on the internet. Like, in, okay, okay, somehow that... You're talking about the death threats? To, yeah, they're just, like, like, I don't know, I saw one thing and it just these, like, screeds towards the playwright of just, like, just vitriol and awful. And I was like, 
okay, I understand that you're angry. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that this conversation is worthy of that. Like, holy crap. I mean. And I get that people have feelings and I get that. But like, is there a space for feelings that's not the, the internet of just like, it just seemed really, it, it was too intense. I mean, I hear you, I guess. I just. Oh, we can disagree on that. No, I don't know that I agree or disagree. I, uh, people gonna have their feelings, whether we agree. Or I know. Not. I just am like I it just, was <laughs> like I would never go on to Twitter and tweet something about so and so is a terrible ass person. Yeah, da, da, da. I probably say it to their face, which is a different conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is something to be said for the emotion that is being brought forth for feeling like your body and your story is being exploited. Um, and yeah. I, and I get it and I, I do, I do get that, like the feeling and, of exploitation and how it maneuvers and manipulates your emotions and your feelings. For those of you who don't know, um, during Slave Play's off-Broadway run, they received a lot of death threats and in the off and on-Broadway run, they have, res- there's a petition that, uh, one black woman started to get it shut down. The same black woman started the same petition to get it shut down on Broadway. Yes. Um, and there was a lot of conversation about that. You know, I think Jeremy called her a liar at one point, later came back and apologized for it. But like there, like the whole thing is, is very interesting. And specifically like looking at the way that conversation popped up in the black community in terms of like who was supporting the petition and why they said they were supporting the petition, even though they hadn't seen the play was they said that the black man gets raped in the first scene. And that was their problem. That was why they, yes. And I was like, you really didn't see the play. You really haven't read anything around the play. Like that's not the central thing at all. I'm like, and, but again, I think it is one of those things that adds to the conversation about the way black women are devalued specifically in theatrical mediums, specifically in areas like this, where it's just like, what, is going on and why did you think this is okay like black women being simultaneously the most vulnerable beings on stage but also not being necessarily seen as human is really interesting to me and i've said this to you before like sitting in that theater while people watched what i perceived to be abuse or like low point abuse high point rape and like not cry for that woman but knowing that these same people will cry and probably have cried in the audience of um how i learned to drive is is disturbing to me that like nobody sees black women as like human beings yeah i think the most interesting thing about all of this is that it it's so nuanced and yeah if anything that after hearing this conversation that i can still feel um excited about championing slave play it's that it, it's at least because for 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 many other reasons but specifically because it 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 encourages such nuanced conversation and even if some of that is intense and bad and there's lots of reasons for or there's lots of reasons against there's at least like a lot happening because of it and a lot of discussion happening and i I think that the conversations could exist with something a little bit less damaging. That's my point. And their marketing is really smart in terms of like, you will be left out of the cultural conversation if you don't do this. I don't actually- I feel so out of the loop. I did not see any of that. (laughs) This is, this is the conversation that's going on. Um, you should check out Broadway Briefing if you don't. I read them every morning. Yep. Um, shout out Broadway Briefing. Shout out Broadway Briefing. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> I feel like 
I'm in like a little like pseudo academia bubble about race and critical race theory. Yeah. Well, likely. No, but just also in like what I read. That's fair. Like I just don't. I'm like, what are these things you're talking? I was like, I just read all these. It's just bad. It's bad. Okay, keep going. No, I haven't so, read a research review in a while. Yeah. But yes. Well, I want to have like a little bonus conversation that's related but slightly separate as like a, a nice little closer here, which is there's just as much controversy around Jeremy being the, the center. Jeremy Harris is the playwright of Slipway being the central point right now um, amidst all the controversy with theater etiquette. Um, oh. Are you seeing a lot of this on Twitter? I did see the Rihanna thing. So Jesus. I have a lot of I have a Ooh, lot look of at the conflicted go. opinions about this. Just just some quick reactions to where we are in this moment with Jeremy's approach to theater etiquette versus a traditional approach. Um, I, I guess I guess a good way to phrase this for me is that like. As someone so who, pretty. as someone, I'm so excited to hear what you <laughs> respond to me about this, but as someone who loves theater so much, for me, for many years, I loved the phrase that the theater was one of the last places left where people weren't on their phones, and it was this very sacred space because of that, and I loved it, and I have been in many situations where it is very distracting that people next to me are on the phones or whatever it may be. And so when all of this started bubbling up, you know, through Jeremy. Jeremy has sort of been sort of the liaison amongst that. I have been introduced to new perspectives on why phones can and should be a part of the experience or why certain things like Rihanna coming to the show and him holding the show for her and her texting him during the show is a different perspective. Um, what is your thought on this? I'm not the person you want to hear from because uh, I actually think that that, I think, I think it's just a bad take. <laughs> I think it's a bad take that you phones can. in the using your phones in the theater. I think it's a bad take um, unless you're using like Gala Pro, which is an app that helps people who are disabled yeah. have a more like fulfilling I theatrical think... experience. My problem is multifold. One, the like conflation of theater etiquette, specifically where Rihanna is concerned with. Um, access and gatekeepers really bugs me because we actually have issues with access and gatekeepers that do not include people criticizing Jeremy for holding curtain for her. That in and of itself is elite. Nobody else in the audience, maybe a couple other people, your friends in the audience had the access to you to text you and say, hey, I'm running late, but I doubt you would have held curtain for them. And maybe you would have. I don't know. But what I'm saying is How like that- How long do they hold the curtain? I don't, don't know. Nobody like, knows. I mean, is it? I'm I don't just, think it was super long. I was like, I was like, it's not unheard of to hold curtain for eight minutes. That's no, not a thing. That's, that's so like, fine. why? Yeah. But like to publicize it, to make it a whole thing, to tell people that like you will hold the curtain for your queen who has inspired your show. Like that's admirable, but you cannot conflate that with elitism because you can't conflate it with a commentary on elitism because it is in fact elite. Y'all got money. Like, gallows humor is only funny when you're the one in the gallows. And you are not in the gallows, boo-boo. And so, like, I'm just like, you can't do that because you shouldn't. You can do what you want. You shouldn't do it because there are people who are actually affected by elitism in theater. Like, as somebody who is frequently reminded that the people around me don't expect me to have a space there. Like, the amount of times white people have acted as gatekeepers to my row 
they're like, are you sure you're sitting here? Are these your tickets? Like from Women's Project to Lincoln Center. I went to go see Sinking Inc., which I think is brilliant. Uh, at the flea. At the flea? I love yeah. that show. Sinking Inc. is literally one of my favorite yeah. pieces of theater of all time. But like, I'm sure you went. You know that it was mainly general admission with the exception of like VIP seating that you purchased beforehand. I sat in the front row next to this older black couple and this old white woman walked up to me and was like, are you sitting in the right seat? Like, ma'am, it's general admission. What did you, did you, did, cause I, it's general yeah. admission. Wow. So you can sit where you want to sit. And that's actually the conversation about elitism and like socioeconomic um, prowess in the theater and how we need to talk about that. That's actual elitism versus like, I held the curtain for this really famous person. Um, similarly with phones, I don't like them in theater. I think they're distracting unless you absolutely need them. Like, of course, I, I just want everybody to be more compassionate towards yeah. their fellow audience members. Um, I was at Lincoln Center, and I think I was seeing Nantuck's, Nantucket Sleigh Ride. Uh -huh. And this older woman was there, and she had a hearing device that she dropped at the top of the act. And she was just looking for it. And everybody was shushing her. Are and people serious? were so mad and so mean about it. And I was like, you come to the theater for the compassion that you are missing in your life, and yet you refuse yeah. to acknowledge compassion for the person who is just trying to have the experience. I also, for me... I, I would prefer people not use their phones in some certain instances. I'm like, and this is like, I'm like, they're here. And more often than not, they paid for you to lock them in the dark. Like, this is a real thing I have. I'm like, they're voluntarily allowing you to lock them in the dark to like enjoy a thing. If they're like, if some shit happens in their life where they need to get on the phone and they're not like, ma 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 ma. I don't really care. You want to know why? Because they paid to be here. But and so maybe, I, I know. Okay, no, that's but why. See, I didn't actually pay No, but it doesn't matter. But stop. like, it doesn't matter. So did I. But like, it's not violating my communal space. That Like, I don't, for me, like, what you do with your body until you get into my actual space and you're threatening me, I don't know how much I care. Like, if you're totally ruining the experience, sure. But there's a big space between totally ruining the experience and pulling out your phone. Now, do I pull out my own phone? No, I don't. But like, I also feel like that's a weird space in which like, I'm like, I'm just, sometimes I'm just happy people are there. That's all I'm saying. Like we, it's a, it's a, it's a die in our form at, at points. So like, I'm just happy people are there. They came to see your but I got revival that I don't want to walk like what? I got anxiety. And yes. so like seeing people's phones, like I went to go see Hustlers. Homie was checking Facebook. The yeah, entire movie. Right, right. So I moved. Yeah. And that's what I mean. That's like, what I and mean, we too. we both saw Freestyle Love Supreme. Sam and I saw Freestyle Love Supreme on the same night. And people were on their phones. No. Because they put your phones in a locked bag. Yeah, you can do at that. At the top of the show. I did that with, I went to see two uh, dope queens. Yeah, which is that the, I don't know that yeah, podcast. Yeah, so that's the podcast. Two, two dope, dope queens. queens. I went to see the live taping with a friend and they put our phones in a thing. And it was great. All of that works fine. Like, I'm just saying, like, I mean... I'm more, I'm like, I try, like, I don't know, Linda Vista, they were yelling at people about their phones. And I'm just like, well, that's because she's, Patty LaPone made it cool. She's turning, like, the usher was like, I see your phone. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? 
I mean, I think I for mean, me, like, it's the light is yes, the problem. It's totally like, fine it, to be offended by it. Usu- the light usually does enter into a land for me of, like, it is ruining it for me. Yeah. And that might just be because I'm extra, like, sensitive to light I or something. Think, I'm not sure. And, like, what's very interesting to me is that you said theater should be a place for compassion, and I fully agree. Yeah. And I have so many examples over the past couple of years of me politely and compassionately trying to ask someone to please turn off their phone. They didn't seem complete disaster. I had physical violence threatened upon me See, by a couple at, at School of Rock because I very politely leaned forward and said, would you mind not talking so much? It was actually not about the phone. Yeah, it was about them talking. And they that was right before intermission. They stood up in intermission, prevented me from walking down the aisle to confront me about this. Oh, and I And so now I'm petrified <laughs> to say anything to anyone. And because I've tried compassion, it didn't work. I've tried ignoring. I don't know if I'm sensitive or what to with the light. And so now I'm in the position where I only do if I if it's just literally yeah. like the person next to me. And I can try to say something, and if it goes badly, I end it there. I'm just like, I'm not going to work with you. But the best example I can give you is that Mean Girls, the woman next to me pulled out her phone, full brightness, started texting. Why? Um, and I said, and it was funny because I, I, I think that night I was not in my compassion zone. My reaction was not to be, would you mind turning it off? I literally turned her and snapped, absolutely not, turn it off. <laughs> Why and would you have she it said out? to me... You don't have to look at it. And I said, I do have to look at it. Because it's a it's giant in my flashlight do in we, my face. Leave me alone. Like, here's the thing, like, because I'm, because I'm like, do we just not know how to be in public spaces together anymore? Because the I idea that the she issue. pulled out her phone in, in that space is that I'm just like, oh, don't pull out your phone. How many people in my brain, I'm like, they're not going to pull out their phone unless someone's dying, which these... Like, I mean, like, and I was like, and a lot of old people don't know how to turn off their phone. Mm-hmm. So when people start getting pissed off about people's phones ringing, I have a lot more compassion where I'm like, that motherfucker, sorry, just doesn't <laughs> know how to turn off the phone. Like, it's not, like, we don't have, and I'm like, do we not know how to be in public spaces together? And so then that to me means that Rihanna's just not the litmus test. Like, no. Rihanna's just not the test and is not an issue and is... Because she's Rihanna. It's right. like um, it's like Beyonce going to see Broadway, too. Right. Like, everybody's going to hold the curtain for Beyonce. Everybody's right. going to hold the curtain. It doesn't matter who Rihanna texts. It doesn't matter who. They're all holding the curtain. If she right. went to see Frankie Johnny and the Claire de Lune, they're holding the curtain. That's fine. We can't pretend. Yes, no, I agree. Like, that is elitism. It's not because people are upset that she not, that the curtain is being held. But also, like I'm looking at that, going, "You're upset. Do you not know the world you live in? Because the currency of the world you live in, I don't know a single person in that theater who who wouldn't have held the curtain for Rihanna. So I, I just am like, why are we having the conversation? I don't think the people in the audience were that upset. I think mm. it was people who were oh, like on the internet yeah. being why? like, this is rude. What, what do you because have to do for? Because this is the type what? of, com- like we are having the conversation, what? the type of cultural conversation what? that keeps things going. Why right? is that worthy of anyone's freaking time? That's like, I don't get that. I don't get that. What is worthy? Like these are, are not worthy discussions like you like she's on her phone in the front who cares i mean i care because i can see it and that should bother That's me the well thing. yes i understand <laughs> that but also like i'm gonna someone's on their phone in the theater and i'm annoyed with them great 
like I'm annoyed with them in that moment. I walk out of the like the theater. I'm not annoyed with them anymore. I mean, I because I have like that's why I don't like. I'm like, yes, we can have these conversations about etiquette or whatever, but also like everything's on fire. So like what I give brain space to. This is why I don't understand the internet sometimes. So like people are literally arguing about this. That's fine. I think for me, it like. The thing is, moments like that definitely affect the way I perceive the whole production. Um, it just does. Like, specifically with when I saw Slave Play, I don't think that New York Theatre Workshop had... They just didn't... The dramaturgy is questionable. And I don't know that they had the resources to, like, help people unpack the trauma that was unearthed by that play, which is also a part of, like, my critique of the thing. Because yeah, a lot of people left feeling... Yeah, I hear you. ...not great. Right. And they mm-hmm. had, you know, they had um, counselors on standby after the show. Like, real counselors? I don't know how they vetted these people. Okay. They said, if you need help, talk to me. They had those buttons oh, on. Yeah, yeah, Remember? And I, wa- we, it was like a group of me and like four other black people. I think I knew two of them. And one of the black women walked up to us and I like looked at her and I said, why did you program this? And she laughed in my face. What? She laughed. And so I got up and I left and I went next door because they were having like an open mic series, which is a part of their whole thing. But like that is forever ingrained in my mind that that woman laughed at my very legitimate question when I was in a very like vulnerable space. And so it was just like things like that, things like the way people respond to you when you walk into the theater, the way people treat yes. you when you walk into theater, the way people I think those talk are to valuable you or conversations. Like block you in the middle of a theater because you've asked them to stop impeding upon I your experience. I think that's yes. I have. I'm saying those are real. Like no, we don't know. Like, clearly, people don't know how to be in public spaces. Also, I think like, that's what's key to it. Yeah, that, that helps me be a little bit more compassionate. That's not this person saying they're just being a total asshole and like pulling out their phone to distract me it's just that she just doesn't know that that is distracting she doesn't know how well she hasn't what it means to me to be sitting in the theater watching a new musical on broadway versus her being like i brought my daughter this and i'm kind of bored and i want to be on my phone i saw a play recently um shall remain nameless but i it was the last scene and i couldn't anymore and i felt so bad because the words just came out of my mouth when something i went why I just went, why? Um, and I was just like, why? And it it was so, and I felt so bad because all the blue hairs were there. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to be that chick. I I'm going to be the blue hairs. <laughs> 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 that's, their, that's their subscription place. It's very blue haired. But, um, but I was like, why? Ah, no, don't. Ugh. And I, and in thinking about that, I was like, oh. Oh, like, I, f- I hope I didn't ruin it for anyone. And the best part was the people in front of me started going, no, oh, oh. Oh, And then the blue hairs next to me went, no! And I was like, yes! So we're all on the same page. But initially I was like, and sometimes I am responsive and I do worry about that because when I do go into that space, I do think about it's a communal event. And so there's usually some sense of communal catharsis, right? Like theater hopefully moves towards some some individual and then communal catharsis so that we have a, that's why we do it in a group of people so that there's an exchange between us as a collective group and what's happening up there and us individually and what's happening up there. And I think in our modern 
space, we don't have a lot of stuff like that. You know, we don't have a lot of engagement in that way. And I think it is hard for people. And I think too, like, but at the same, so I, I don't, I don't even know why I'm saying, I'm not trying to excuse phones in the theater. I just am trying to No, I to think do, that's like, what's cool about this is it can be so much more nuanced than just, you know, should you have your phone in a theater? But I mean, like, theater etiquette is like the thing, right? It's always been the thing. We were talking about Ethel Merman the other night, you know, the myth that like she was singing, I think she was performing in Call Me Madam and there was a drunkard in the audience who was just like belligerent and talking the whole time and she sang a note. And she t- kept telling him to shut up, and he wouldn't shut up. So, like, in the middle of a song, she, like, sang. And then she went down, t- <laughs> got him, took him upstairs, threw him out the door, and then came back down and did the rest of the show. Love that. Like, that, this is not something new to us. Right. Like, no. the, the things are new, right? Right. I'm really interested in the fact that, I'm interested in a couple things. One, I'm interested in the fact that ushers always target me with their phone commentary. <laughs> They always like look me in my eye and they're like, turn your phones off. And I'm like, I actually legitimately turn my phone completely off because nobody I know is dying. I don't have a kid at home. Well, that was the thing that was interesting when it really first started bubbling up on Twitter with Jeremy tweeting, listen, this is not black people who phones go off. And I was like, you know what? You're right. It's all white like, people. Ev- it's all white people. And ev- historically, when, yeah. when I realized that I was like, oh, yeah. So it makes sense that there's a reaction to that of, like, quit policing this because we're not the problem. I mean, but then, like, there's also this larger conversation. So, like, what you said about what happened with you and the why, that's really interesting to me that it was embraced in that way. Because when you look at, like, even people like Lin-Manuel Miranda and Dominique Mariso are, like, being targeted in theaters for being vocal about their responses and i think that's really interesting and you talked about pipeline a bit and i don't know if you looked at the insert that dominique wrote about how like this is a space for black people this is led by black people follow accordingly similarly aziza um barnes thank you aziza barnes she wrote uh blacks and i saw it at steppenwolf and i also saw it when it was at mcc when it was at black she also had an insert similar to what dominique did for pipeline and after Steppenwolf does talkbacks for all of their shows. And so at this talkback, I just remember this white man saying, it didn't seem like a play for black people. And I was like, but she wrote it. Like, it's called Blacks. <laughs> it was in the insert that it was for black people. And you still decided it wasn't for black people. And, and I you remember, announced that? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I remember talking to Aziza uh, when it was up at MCC. And she was saying how in one of the, I think it, I think Wooly Mammoth went and talked. He directed and talked. here it. Good God. Oregon Shakespeare Festival, really blocked out. Um, she's brilliant. But in one of the earlier productions, there was a group of black femmes who came to see the show and they were like cheering and they were boisterous and they were laughing and they were engaging with the material and some white man told them to shut up. Or no, it was a black guy who told them to shut up. And then one of the other white audience members like concurred and was like, yeah. And they were like, this is for us. Yeah. Like, this is about us. Yeah. How are you going to tell us to shut up about our like story? That, I think, like, my response to the phone thing is also probably more of a, like, I'm, I'm not, like, you, like, your shit, like, has to infringe so much upon my agency for me to be, like, shut the F up. Like, it, like, and so, like, for me, it's, like, a question of, like, in that space, like, how do we 
and phones are not the hill to die on. So I'm like, put away your phones. But how do we create age, like a space for people to have their own? Because that's an agency discussion. They can laugh at that thing however they want to laugh at that thing. Also because, and not to bring, okay, we live in a capitalist society. Theater is capitalism. So I'm just going to play by capitalism's rules for a hot second. I paid to be here. I can laugh however I want to laugh. I paid or someone paid for me to be here. The bill has been paid. You have paid for your own little seat. Stay in your seat. I just think it's really interesting because I hear stories about like Dreamgirls, the original Broadway production, where like people were falling over the banisters and that was acceptable like my theater teachers used to tell me all about this i, I loved i love myth what I do you mean falling theater. over the ba- banisters? like they were like oh my gosh girl oh, like yeah. reaching towards yeah. her during and i am telling you and that was the cultural norm the cultural and societal norm and i guess as we move away from shows that center black people where audiences are mainly and predominantly black we now have to talk to white people about how they receive art about black people like i think there was a time where they were not the majority in the room for like the whiz which was poorly reviewed when it was first brought and like it was word of mouth that kept that show going and i think even with dream girls like it was still a lot of black people were coming out to the theater to see it and now i feel like that's less true well, yeah. I love the fact that we are ending on Dream Girls. Yeah, that's and a great way to off do it. Banisters, because I'm telling you right now, when I watch that Tony Awards performance on YouTube, Girl. I fall onto my couch, onto the floor, <laughs> screaming in the other room. Oh. I can't even watch that performance. It's she so, had so good. Three different size costumes. It's amazing. God, I was um, not extolling capitalism, BT Dabs. I'm just saying, if there's no ethical consumption, there's no ethical consumption under late stage capitalism. Literally Have a great day. Not. Well, thanks for chatting today. I am honored and was so excited to find out within minutes of you two talking that I was dealing with two people way, way smarter than me, which made it a much incredible <laughs> conversation no. for me to be a part of. And I appreciate it. And thanks for your thoughts. And go or don't go see Slay Play. Go or don't go see What to Send Up when it comes to No, go tour. see What to Send Up. Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said what I said. said I heard you. All right, go to yet, (laughs) go to yesbroadway.com or at yesbroadway on Twitter or Instagram. Check it out. Until next time, this is Sam. This is Amara Morgan. Peace out. Bye.